Do you know the um, the story of Plato's allegory of the cave? Uh, Plato, the great philosopher who lived before Christ, uh, in his book The Republic, uh, tells this allegory of some folks who are in a cave, who live their life in a cave, and the allegory is supposed to help us understand um, uh, intelligence, gaining uh, new knowledge to be enlightened. Uh, but it goes like this, that there are some folks who live their whole life inside of this cave where some diffused light comes through a door, almost like or, or opening, almost like those doors there, and they're chained up and their, their heads are uh, in a position that they cannot turn them to, to look back to the opening. And so it would almost be like they're facing in that direction, looking at the wall. And actually above the, the opening, there's a pathway that goes over it. And behind that pathway is also a fire. And people um, go along the pathway, uh, almost like with shadow puppets, uh, and say things. And so the people in the cave look at the wall and they see the shadows and the echoes. And that's their whole experience of reality. They can't even see each other because they're just looking forward and seeing these shadows and and hearing only echoes of the things. So they might see a shadow of a dog and hear the word dog, but it's not quite a dog, and that's not quite the word that they're hearing. And they try to explain reality to each other. Uh, and so that's how they understand life and the world. One of the people in the cave is given to leave, um, and he goes outside, and of course it's like when you go to a, a matinee movie and you leave, you know, and you're your eyes, uh, all of a sudden, you, they, they don't adjust quickly. And that's what life is like for him for, for a little while as he's trying to make sense of what he sees. He's seeing a, a tree for the first time in reality, whereas he'd only seen the sort of shadow puppet of the tree. And someone says to him, that you know, that's a tree. Um, and is no longer the echo, but the clear word. And so lives life outside long enough to start to make sense clearly of reality and then goes back into the cave uh, to his friends and you know you guys you won't believe this uh, and uh, explains what things really are and what they're really called and, and you know what they do they don't say that's well we want to be uh, unchained and let us outside no they revolt against him they don't want to hear this they think he's crazy they think he's gone mad and yet he's describing what uh, reality is and Plato's point is that's what it's like to gain intelligence um, uh, to be educated, uh, philosophical mind. Uh, the philosopher is trying to explain reality to sort of the public, and uh, and 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 they don't want to hear it. As a matter of fact, uh, they'll they'll kill him like they did Socrates. Um, I tell you this story because the 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 story uh, that we have from Matthew's gospel today, but also appears in Luke and and Mark, uh, the Transfiguration is a lot like. Plato's cave. Uh, it's a lot like this allegory that I just told you. And it's also alluded to in John's gospel in his first chapter. And as we had the reading today from Second Peter, Peter, like John, was there. Um, so whereas John alludes to it, Peter talks about it explicitly in his second uh, epistle. Um, and uh, the reason I say that the transfiguration is a lot like Plato's cave is on many different levels. First of all, um, there are some things that are revealed in this incident that um, stories and prophecies and laws from the Old Testament were mere shadows and echoes of what we now know in Jesus Christ. 
And what's been revealed uh, to these three and by extension all the twelve disciples. Uh, so things uh, uh, like Moses' teaching of the law, uh, being representative of the law in the Old Testament, and Elijah, who's also there, the greatest prophet, representing all the prophetic messages of the Old Testament, were mere echoes. And now uh, we hear it clearly in uh, Jesus Christ becoming incarnate and teaching and revealing God's self to us. But it's also like Plato's cave because look at what happens to Peter. I mean, even when he's given this explicit uh, revelation of God's glory that he can see as an eyewitness, he's still confused. He's still like... He's still like the guys in the cave, or maybe he's like the guy that's been allowed to leave. Like, remember I said when you leave the matinee movie, that first, you know, you can't even, where's my car? You know, I can't see. Uh, that's what it's like for Plato, uh, for, for, for Peter in this instance. He's, he's still confused. He still doesn't quite get it. And he's actually rebuked again, just as he was uh, in the chapter just uh, previously. Uh, and then uh, it's a lot like Plato's cave because after they're going down the mountain, Jesus says, tell no one. Tell no one about what you've just seen and heard. And why does he say this? Because uh, no one's going to get it. And they're going to be so confused about it, they will make Jesus, they're looking for a political messiah. They're looking for someone who will lead a militaristic, politicized revolt. And that's not what Jesus came to do. In Luke's gospel, actually, when he's telling the story of the transfiguration, he says that Jesus talked to Moses and Elijah about his departure. We don't see this in Matthew, but in Luke, uh, what he's saying is he tells Moses and Elijah about his upcoming crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, which hasn't happened yet. And so the people will interfere in this happening if they make Jesus a a political messiah. because they're like the people in the cave. So, so much going on uh, of confusion. And there's so many other themes that I can unpack in the transfiguration. It's one of those things uh, in the Bible that we could uh, do a whole teaching series on. Uh, Not enough time here for me to talk to you about all of that. But there's one theme that I'd like to highlight that we see here in Matthew's passage. And it's this, that understanding of, uh, you could say, reality or understanding about who God is or Jesus Christ or just sort of understanding about truth in general comes finally not by sight but by an authoritative message that must be heard, that must be listened to, that our eyes deceive us, uh, that we must hear the truth. Just consider what Paul says in Romans, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's why preaching is so important. As I preach, our theology is, as I preach to you, the word of God is present, because this is the very word of God that you must hear. I mean, you could even close your eyes now, and and, and the truth will come to you. You don't need to see it. Uh, Even though this uh, building is is beautiful, that's penultimate to the the final message of of the word that comes to us in, in the truth. And this is a sort of perennial uh, dilemma of people relying on what they see to understand uh, reality. And don't get me wrong, please don't leave today saying that uh, that Matt gave this uh, sermon today that was anti-science. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about here. 
There's gr- there are things that are great about science. Don't get me wrong. I visit people in the hospital all the time, and I'm grateful for the miracles that allow some of these amazing procedures to happen. I'm not being anti-science. But just as I said, this, this building and its architecture and art is penultimate to the final truth, uh, so is science even, or the things that we deduce by what we see, that the final truth must come uh, through hearing. And it's not sight-based or the things that we see in terms of the ways that we perceive reality around us. And what I'm telling you today is of contemporary importance, and it has been for several hundred years, but most especially now in the 21st century, 2017, because we live in a sort of age that we call post-modernity. And post-modernism is primarily, you could say, sight-based. It is anti-authoritative message. And what I mean by that is we make sense, we're told to make sense of reality based on your own individual experience, by what you can see on your own. Uh, And this is a phenomenon called relativity. You'll often hear people talk even about some of the most important truths about things like Jesus Christ, and they'll say, to me, well, to me, well, to me, Jesus was a great teacher and prophet. Um, I don't want any of that, you know, other stuff that's in the Bible to me, right? So this is a modern phenomenon that you'll hear people talk this way, uh, that I make sense in my individual reality of the truth of the world based on what I experience and what I see around me. Uh, And I don't need all of the other things that people are saying, well, that's good for you. You know, all paths lead to the same God, that kind of stuff. So this is a sort of, it's a perennial dilemma. We see it even with Plato's cave. We see it with uh, Peter and the other disciples, and it's uh, it's a big deal in postmodernity, being sight-based. I mean, uh, just think about our world is increasingly uh, visual in terms of screens. I mean, how much of your time do you spend staring at a stinking screen, whether it's your television? Uh, I was at a, I think I said this before, I was at a gas station recently, and I was shocked as soon as I picked up the thing a television turned on on the the, the uh, gas pump, and a car- have you seen this before? This is I think I was in another I think I was in Tennessee or Georgia when I I'd never seen this in the Birmingham area, and a television screen came on. I can't even pump gas anymore without a shell giving me their propaganda. Um, and it's on your you know your your telephone, your computer, your tablet, everywhere. And by the way, just as a side note, that's why we still use bulletins. Uh, that's why in this church we don't, uh, at least at this service at the 5 o'clock, we've decided not to put screens up here to give you a break from all the screens that you're staring at all the time, you know. Uh, you can raise your hand and worship, just do it like this while you're singing. That's totally fine. I know that some of you want to be unleashed and look at the screen, but it's actually like that that the uh, the Apple commercial where the lady comes in and throws the sledgehammer. Do you remember that? 1984. Uh, we're getting rid of the screens for 75 minutes out of your week here. But anyway, we're sight-based. That's how we perceive uh, most of reality and make sense of, uh, of the things around us. And it affects the church, not just in terms of things like screens, but, um, you know, just take, for instance, uh, Robin Williams, God rest his soul, uh, was Episcopalian. Did you know that? And, and he's famous in a comedy act for saying the Episcopal Church is Catholic light. All the same rituals, but half the guilt. 
Have you heard that before? That was in one of his comedy acts. He's not the only one. I hear it all the time. Like every other Sunday, if there's a visitor, they'll come, especially at our morning services, and they're like, oh, I'm Catholic. This was great. It's basically the same thing. What's going on? They're not listening to what we're saying. They're not listening to the preacher. They're not listening to the prayers in the bulletin. They're not listening to the music. Because it's not Roman Catholic light. It's actually quite a different message. But the architecture, the bulletin, the structure of the service is confusing them and depending primarily on what they see and not what they hear. Uh, So we see it even uh, in the church, and it's confusing us. We're confusing the signs for the things signified. You know, all these things here, they're not the end in of themselves. It's not about the bread and the wine. It's not about... Um, all the ornamentation, they signify things like forgiveness of sins, good news of Jesus Christ, new birth, things like that. That's the important thing. Uh, Otherwise, they're just, it's just stuff. So don't confuse the sign for the thing that's signified. Uh, and that's what we do when we're the people in the cave, though. And we're all, we're the people, we are the people in the cave. Isn't it funny if you, if you talk to anybody about Plato's allegory of the cave, what do they think? They think, oh, well, I'm not like them. <laughs> you know, I've left the cave. I'm enlightened. I have a bachelor's and a master's degree, right? Um, I'm like the guy who's left the cave and trying to go back in. But the reality is, we're still in the cave. <laughs> I mean, that's what's going on here with Peter at the Transfiguration and the other disciples. I mean, just think of even what Paul said. Even Paul, who who confronted uh, Jesus Christ in this miraculous instance where he was was knocked off his horse uh, on on the road to persecute the church, right, Uh, and encounters the risen Christ. This same Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, For now I see in a mirror dimly, but then... In the latter day, on the other side of Jordan, uh, in heaven, in the new heaven, the redeemed earth, but then face to face. Now I see through a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. He's basically saying, I'm still like the guys in Plato's cave. I still don't fully see him face to face. Uh, so to understand sort of ultimate reality, we need a, a paradigm shift. It's a fancy uh, a, a word I think is helpful for understanding this concept. Paradigm basically means to see beyond, uh, to, to see beneath or to see beyond, uh, that what you see is not actually what you get. Have you ever seen, uh, and they have multiple versions of this, but have you ever seen the little drawing of what looks like a line drawing of a duck? And then somebody says, it's actually a rabbit. And then you see that the duck bill is actually bunny ears. Have you seen this before? Something like it. There's one with a lady who's a young lady. And then someone says, no, it's an old lady. And then you can't help but see the old lady. That's a paradigm shift. When you thought there was only a duck or an old lady, and then someone says to you the authoritative message, and all of a sudden, you can't help but to see reality in a new way. Because uh, what, what you see is not all that's always going on. The, the, the surface reality is actually not the truth. It's the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more going on here. 
There's so much more going on in this room with all a hundred some odd folks of us, all well dressed and looking uh, clean. You know, there's so much more going on below the surface. What you see is not the sort of ultimate reality. Um, uh, Martin Luther has a, a helpful uh, sort of uh, way to to describe this, and he 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 talks about the creature in waiting. Um, and he gets this from um, Romans chapter 8, where Paul says in Romans chapter 8, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be re- revealed for us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. In the King James Version, they translate that last verse, for the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. And Martin Luther, in expositing Romans chapter 8, talks about uh, this uh, verse to help us understand what I'm trying to get at that's related to the transfiguration, to Plato's cave, and to to having a paradigm shift, to, to understanding ultimate reality. He says, by virtue, this is Martin Luther, the great reformer, he says, Uh, of Romans chapter 8. By virtue of the fact that the Apostle Paul's soul has the power of hearing the creature waiting, he no longer directs the inquiry toward the creature as such, but for what it waits for. What is he saying? He's saying there's the creature, me, right, up here. There's the the creature, you, um, or all of creation that we see and perceive and know. But there's actually a creature that waiteth in waiting underneath. The, the underside, the underbelly of the iceberg that, um, that is full of all the anxieties and, and fears and depression and need <laughs> and, and constant need. You know, I will say something uh, to someone and actually there are so many more messages to it. You know, that's what passive aggression is about. <laughs> if you've ever had a sort of passive aggressive encounter with someone, there's the creature, which is the passive aggressive remark. But there's actually the creature that waiteth, that, that, that's underneath. And that's the reality that, that we don't quite see until it's pointed out to us. You know, what's really going on here? I need to hear for it. I need to, I need to listen uh, to know what's really going on. I had a recent uh, conversation uh, with someone about, uh, their, uh, along these lines about um, an instance that she had uh, in, uh, as a child in Sunday school, about nine years old, and um, in this Sunday school class that she went to every Sunday as a child, they had to memorize verses and then come that week with the Bible verse memorized, and they'd go around in the circle and, um, and say the verse, and if they said the verse, they would get a piece of candy. Uh, isn't that nice? And uh, she got the teacher got to her the small child and she had the verse memorized and then just froze and couldn't say it and was so scared of what the teacher would think of her that she was kind of scared of and she thought she was kind of ugly this teacher uh and she wanted the candy i mean more so she that was the need she wanted the candy it's not actually about the bible verse it was about the candy and the fear and then the teacher seeing the small child nine years old freeze up and panicking says to her you should say my favorite verse. And she says to her, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other as God in Christ has forgiven you. And then the girl followed her words and said it. And she said, that's very good, and gave her the candy. Uh, 
And uh, she said to me in telling this story, this woman who I thought was ugly, kind of, and mean, became beautiful to me. From then on, she was as if transfigured. The transfiguration of Jesus Christ, what happens is for a moment in time is revealed his full glory that they were able to see. Uh, what is really uh, beneath the surface of the incarnate Word of God. Uh, in the same way, she saw the, the, the true beauty and glory of this woman in that uh, incident, and from then on wanted to follow her around and serve her uh, and, and memorize all these Bible verses um, because the, the woman was actually not the strict school marm that she thought she was, but she was a contender and compassionate. Uh, that was the, the real person that was beneath. Uh, and, and now, as a result, this girl wanted to love her. If you go outside our church, uh, maybe you've seen this before, right at that corner there's a statue that I love uh, that we call the Compassionate Christ statue. Have you seen it before? So many of you enter the church through this side. Uh, you don't need to go out that way tonight because I want you to hang out. I brought, I brought King's Cake. Um, so go to Cleman Commons. But another time, if you go out there, you'll see the statue is not of Jesus um, like on the cross or resurrected or ascended, but it's Christ during his life, even before the crucifixion. And he's sort of kneeling and, and leaning toward you. And it's a full-size man statue with his arms stretched out. And it's called the Compassionate Christ. That's sort of an image of what's happening at the transfiguration. Let me read to you just a little bit of our passage again. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents uh, here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He doesn't know what's going on. He wants to build new tabernacles to contain the glory so he can prolong it. And as he's saying this, he's interrupted. As he was still speaking, uh, behold, a, a, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified because the, the God the Father is speaking from the heavens. They fall on their faces and are terrified. But Jesus, think of the compassionate Christ statue. Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Peter's paradigm is suddenly shifted uh, from terror and uh, uh, fear and confusion about Elijah and Moses, and now seeing only Jesus. And he's not there to rebuke him any longer, but is reaching out tenderly and says, get up and don't be afraid anymore. Uh, and the same sort of tone of voice as Elijah on another mountain, uh, when he encountered God, spoke to him in a whisper. Remember that? That's echoed here in the story of the transfiguration. And Jesus leans down compassionately, quietly, rise and get up, and uh, do not be afraid anymore. In the same way that he spoke to Elijah, the word of God incarnate, the, the whisper, the still small voice incarnate is speaking to him. Rise, get up, have no fear, and reaches out to him. Well, I uh, tonight invite you to, to hear and not just see, to listen, to hear the word of God. Open yourself up you know, to what's said, not only by me tonight, but 
um, all that you hear uh, through the music and um, our prayers or by a fellow Christian. Um, perhaps you're too confident in the paradigms that you have. Uh, because we're good postmodern people, we rely on the things that we see to make sense of our relative reality. And maybe that's you. Maybe you think you've got it all figured out. But maybe be open to the, the possibility that you don't have it all figured out based on your own ability to discern what is true. That maybe you need to hear something else. Uh, the, transfigure, the transfiguration narrative gives us a, a, a different image of what people tend to think about uh, things like who God is or who Jesus Christ is. Usually we have a sort of reductive idea of God being a distant deity who um, basically has very little to do with my life, uh, and he's sort of judgmental and cranky. Uh, uh, when I think about it that way and I've done bad things, or I look to him just because uh, I need sort of to be happy and I get some sort of therapeutic emotional high when I go to him. But that's not what we see uh, in the transfiguration narrative. We see a triune God who's not a distant deity, but he intervenes in the world, that he's there in our lives, and he's also compassionate. Uh, those who don't get it, who are confused, who think they have it all figured out but don't get it, uh, he has compassion on us. Uh, and whether you're a Christian or not, even if you are, there are unconverted parts of you, uh, unconverted parts of your heart that still need a sort of paradigm shift. You know, before I was able to come to faith, I had to have one major paradigm shift before even... Uh, sort of assenting to the idea of who God is in Jesus Christ. And that paradigm shift was to understand my own nature as sinful. And that was totally, still is totally countercultural. Uh, and when that happened to me, uh, through reading a particular book, and I remember the day that I was convicted through reading, through hearing, through listening this word, uh, my whole reality shifted almost instantaneously. It was almost like I could see the world with new eyes. By what I heard, I can now see anew. And I realized the sin that's in me is in everybody else, and that's why everybody's so grumpy. That's why he's honking at her, and uh, you know they don't get along, and why this person treats me that way. And it all started to sort of make sense. Well, Maybe you understand that, but maybe there are some other things that, 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 that you need to be open to, uh, to the ultimate reality of truth. And I invite you to, to, to listen uh, to, to the Word of God and allow Him to, to convert those unconverted uh, places inside of you uh, and to know that that God is a compassionate God. He has compassion through Jesus Christ on, on the know-it-all you who thinks he, you have it all figured out. As we are uh, seated, let us pray. Almighty God, uh, give us your Holy Spirit um, so that we are able to hear what you have to say to us. Uh, and we um, confess uh, the places in our life where we have, um, where we thought we've known it all, Lord. Um, help us uh, to, to see anew by hearing through, through your word, have mercy upon us and be compassionate to us in the same way you were with Peter, James, and John.
We pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.